Good morning. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, the reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you, if you have the church Bible, that's page 959. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make not, not make it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that is lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. So much, Kim. And good morning. It's great to be with you all. Thanks so much, Kim. That's great. Um, there's your Bible and your glasses there. We work together. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, good morning as well to kids. I, I've seen that we've got a, a bumper lot of kids here this morning, and I think um, Zoe is is out in the room out there. So, if there are other mums out there too, good morning. Um, Great to be here, and uh, if, like me, you spend a lot of time in your week confined in your office, <laughs> isn't it so good to gather with the people of God? Uh, probably, if, like me, also you spend a lot of time sitting on an office chair, then you know the difference between a chair like this and a chair like this. It makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Um, it, it has made a big difference to my back to have <laughs> a slightly better chair that I got secondhand off Facebook Marketplace, but still does a great job. Um, the chair on the right, of course, will cost you probably five to ten times as much, but also it'll save you hundreds of dollars in physio bills. The man that we have to thank for that chair on the right 
is a man named Max Dupree. Here's a picture of him. Uh, he's the former CEO and chairman of a company called Herman Miller. Uh, they're a furniture company. And uh, believe it or not, Max is or was, when he was around, uh, he was a Christian, actually a very public Christian. He was very public about his faith. He built Christian values into the core of Herman Miller. And so if you sit on one of his chairs, perhaps one day you can say thanks to him in person. Uh, but uh, Max, in one of his books on leadership, mentions the birth of his granddaughter. Uh, and he then developed that into a whole nother book. And uh, the birth of his granddaughter is just one of those stories that, um, well, it really gets to me, <laughs> for, probably for obvious reasons, right? We've just had a baby girl. Uh, it also turns out that the name of his granddaughter is Zoe. <laughs> so <laughs> this is just one of those stories that gets to my heart. But here's the story, okay? Zoe was a preemie baby. I was a preemie baby as well. I was born at 34 weeks, which probably explains a lot. But Zoe was actually born at 24 weeks. One pound, seven ounces. And uh, yeah, a few months ago, numbers like that meant nothing to me. So if they mean nothing to you, here's the picture. Uh, Max, her grandfather, could take his wedding ring and slip it all the way up Zoe's little arm. Isn't that crazy? Um, and so the, the doctor said, probably she's not going to last beyond three days. Right? If you're born that early, that small. What's even worse is that Zoe's father, her birth father, had abandoned the family about a month prior. Just imagine that. Uh, and so Max and his wife had a very special role to play in Zoe's birth. Uh, the, the nurse, the neonatal nurse, actually said to him, um, because of all of these circumstances, for the next month, few months at least, if Zoe lasts that long, you need to be like a surrogate father to Zoe. And so here's what I need you to do. And he goes, anything. You know, here's what I need you to do. I need you to come into the hospital every single day. And I need you to sit there beside Zoe's crib and just take your index finger and stroke along her arms and stroke down her legs over and over and over. And you tell that little girl how much you love her over and over and over. Because she needs to connect your voice to your touch. Now, Zoe ended up surviving, <laughs> praise God, <laughs> my heart. <laughs> but there, there's something to this story, right? Like there's a reason that that grips us. There's a reason that some of you just get like wet-eyed thinking about that. And, and there's a reason it grips me, not just because I've just had a baby and her name is Zoe. There's more to this. And I think it's that we are built for relationship, aren't we? We are built to receive love in the form of, of voice and touch and action uh, love, of course, from God, the God who made us right in the womb. Uh, his speaking to us and his action in our life to love us. Of course, we're built for that. And we're built for that with people as well. We are made in the image of God right from the womb for relationship. And there is something to Max going to Zoe and to the hospital over and over and over and then tracing along her limbs over and over and telling her how much she's loved over and over and over that, that represents how relationships are formed. They don't form overnight, do they? They take habitual, devoted choices. That's where healthy relationships come from. 
And so God has given us another ordinary means of grace. And remember, these all have to do with our habits, with our choices that that build up over time, uh, that are the way that God grows us as his people. We've seen that, that it has to do with scripture first, with prayer second, and today the third of the ordinary means of grace, fellowship, relationship, community. And like the things that we've heard over the last couple of weeks, scripture and prayer, Uh, these aren't automatic things. They don't just happen to us. Uh, They're gifts from God. They're gifts of grace that need to be unwrapped, so to speak. Uh, They need to be sort of engaged with and and used in the form of developing habits. So it's not just that we have a Bible on the shelf. It's not just that we read the Bible every now and then. We are immersed in Scripture. We live and breathe it. Uh, So too with prayer. It's not just that we say grace before a meal or we... We pray the Lord's Prayer now and there. No, 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 we are steadfast in prayer. We continue on despite the difficulties, uh, as Christina so well summarized before in, in announcements. And this morning we're going to hear how it's not just getting together with God's people, it's not just going to a church, it's being devoted in fellowship. Devoted in fellowship. And to, to help us see what that looks like, we're going to answer two questions today. Firstly, to do with initiation, the foundation of our fellowship. How is it that God brings us into fellowship together? How does he create the conditions for deep Christian relationships that help us grow? And then secondly, how do we express our devotion to one another? This is a question of participation. Initiation, participation. What's the foundation for devoted fellowship and then how do we build on it? That's what we're going to work out today as we listen to God's word. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the gift of fellowship, all these these things that you give us so that we can know you better and have more victory over sin and... Uh, become the people that you've saved and created us to be and become more like your son to your glory. So we pray, Lord, just simply this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, exactly what you want us to see and hear in your word on this very important topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, kids, uh, I've got something here I want to show you. This is a hat, a very old hat. This is my hat. Does anyone know what it is? It is a hat, but do you know what kind of hat it is? Well, uh, it, it doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> so this is a hat that I used to wear as a kid. You can see it's very old. It's, this used to be white. It's not anymore. Any ideas? Any guesses? Oh, not a school hat, though if I went to a really expensive private school, maybe. No, this is uh, confession time. I used to be a Cub Scout. And this is, this is the hat from my Cub Scout uniform. I was actually a Sea Scout, that's why it's blue, because uh, my dad was into fishing and boating, and so he wanted us to be safe around the water. Now, it was a lot of fun, okay? So you don't, don't judge me too harshly for being a Cub Scout. Uh, whenever we'd have a new Cub Scout join the troop, uh, there was this little ceremony we do. Anyone was a, a Scout at any point, you, you'd know this. Um, all the kids who were part of the Scout troop, we'd all stand in a circle, and then the new kid, they'd be there right in the middle. And all of us, all around them, kids, this is kind of funny. What we'd do is we'd face them and we'd say, one, two, three, woof. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Don't judge us. 
And then the little kid in the middle, they'd go, one, two, three, woof. Right? They'd reply in kind. And then they'd get their hat and they'd get their uniform. And, and hey, now you're part of us. Now, I don't know why we said one, two, three, woof. I didn't know at the time. Maybe I never knew. I don't know. But, but when we did that, it showed that we received them. Right? You get the point? And then they'd put on the hat, they'd put on the uniform, and we could see, you are now part of us. And when it comes to Christian fellowship, God has actually given us a means of initiating people into his church, into the visible local church. And it's not by saying one, two, three, wolf, or wearing a uniform or something like that. He's given us the means called the sacraments. You heard that word before? Sacraments, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. The sacraments, we actually have two sacraments as Christians. You know what they are? Baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. That's right. There's these two sacraments. Now, the word sacrament originally was a Latin word, sacramentum, and it referred to the oath that soldiers would take when they're entering the military. Isn't that interesting? So they'd come along and they say, I'm pledging allegiance to Rome and to my fellow brothers in arms. I'm not just living for myself anymore. I will lay down my life for this country and these men alongside me. Right? That's the kind of oath that they would make. And when it comes to the sacraments, to baptism and communion, there, it is somewhat of an oath that we make, isn't it? Or at least a, an oath that we have made that we then put on display. We are saying, I am with Jesus. And we're saying, I'm with his people. And that's a big part of what actually constitutes our fellowship and helps us then see who has committed themselves to Jesus and to their fellow brothers and sisters. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Page 959, if you're using the church Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's a whole stack up the back. Take one. It's yours. Take it home. Use it. If we see you coming with a black Bible, we're not thinking he's nicked that. No, you can take it. We want you to have a Bible here when you gather and at home when you read. 1 Corinthians 12, we're starting at verse 12, and the first thing you'll notice is the word body. It's repeated three times in this little phrase here, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And this isn't talking about Christ's you know, physical flesh and blood body, right? It's talking about his body, the church. And we know that because he then goes on to talk about the parts of the body. Literally, the members here are limbs and organs. That's what the original word means. So you, you picture here's a body with arms and legs and hands and feet and kidneys and, and spleens and, and all of that. That's the body, the church, all connected one to one another via the head who is Christ, right? That's the picture here. One body of people, many parts all together in Christ. But the big question is, how does someone become part of that body? Verse 13 tells us, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, it has to do with being baptized or immersed in one spirit. Now, this isn't talking, by the way, about water baptism in the first instance. It's talking about actually a much deeper reality here. Because when someone comes to trust in Jesus for salvation, think back to the time when you've done that, if that's something that you've done. 
right? And it could have been a moment, it could have happened over time for you, but, but maybe the earliest known recollection you have of trusting in Jesus, turning from your sin, saying, I am now trusting the Lord Jesus who died for me to turn away the wrath of God to bring forgiveness and new life. When you did that, whether it was a moment or it was over a period of time, then you became a new person. Remember that the shirt illustration we've been using the last couple of weeks, the old shirt, the old life, the old sinful life is gone. The new creation has come. You are a new person in Christ. Hallelujah. What an amazing thing. By faith in Jesus Christ. Now, an aspect of that new life is that we receive the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That's what this verse here, verse 13, is talking about. We are baptized or literally immersed in the Holy Spirit. We are given the Spirit to drink, so to speak. And just like when you, you have a huge bottle of water, right? And the water comes and fills up your stomach, right? You're, Man, I shouldn't have drunk so much. Well, that, that's like what it is with the Spirit, right? The Spirit fills us to the brim. And this isn't talking about a special ceremony. This isn't talking about, you know, some lights and smoke thing where you receive the Holy Spirit. No, this is just when you have faith in Jesus and you turn from your sin, the Spirit comes to live in you. It's an invisible reality, but it's reality. And it is this Spirit filling by faith in Christ that unites us together as part of God's people. As Paul says earlier in this very letter, 1 Corinthians 3 Verse 16, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, that is true for each believer individually, right? God's spirit dwells in you, Christina, and in you, Amy, and in you, Gary, and you, Graham. But also, it's true for us corporately. It's true for his people and, and it doesn't come through that way very well in English, but the plural you is being used here each time. It's actually, do yous not know that yous are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in yous all? It sounds bogan, but it's true, right? <laughs> it's that, that's the reality, and that's why it's a temple, not just a brick, right? <laughs> it, it's the people of God. The point is, we become part of God's people, these people everywhere of every time, when we trust in Jesus and receive the promised Holy Spirit who unites us together. Yes? yes? That's how we become part of God's people. But, looking at verse 13, there is another layer here. Because, of course, when the Corinthian church read this part of Paul's letter, they would have pictured another baptism as well, wouldn't they? The moment that he uses that word, baptizo, to immerse, to baptize, they would have pictured, of course, their baptism in water, naturally. Now, that's not the first significance of this verse, but, but it sort of logically follows. It would have come to mind for them. A bit like if someone asks you, when did you buy your first car? When did you buy your first car? Think of the year. Right? The answer for me is 2005. I was 17 years old. There you go. There's the answer. But as soon as I say the year, of course, I picture my car, don't I? A red Corolla Seeker with an ugly sort of hatchback like that. That was my first car. Right, I called it George. There you go. 2005, that's the primary answer that you're looking for. What year was it? But what follows is a secondary reference, a secondary understanding, a, an image that closely follows of hatchback, right? There it is. 
And so too, I think here in verse 13, how does someone become part of God's people? Well, Paul gives the straight up answer through faith in Jesus that, that issues forth in being immersed in the spirit. That adds you to the invisible church, so to speak. Right, The spirit dwelling in you is an invisible reality. You are added to the invisible church, the universal church, the church of all believers of all places of all time. When you trust in Jesus and receive the spirit, you are in the same universal church as not only us here, uh, but also our fellow believers at Gosford Prezi and EV Church and Lake Macquarie Church and Stanmore Baptist Church and and churches in Western Australia and churches in Indonesia. If there's a church at the North Pole, then you are fellow members with them as well. And you're also fellow members with those who are Christians in the 1400s, right? That's the spirit who unites us together. But Paul goes on, he says, well, yes, being immersed in Christ and his spirit adds you to that church, the universal church. But in saying that, another immersion naturally comes to mind, immersion in water. And early Christians understood that it was this baptism in water that added people to the visible church or the local church. Receiving the spirits an invisible, invisible reality adds us to the invisible church. But, but going down into the water and coming back up is a visible thing that adds us to the visible church. Are you with me? Now, there's lots of scriptures we could go through to unpack the significance of this, but I want to just give you one. Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 2. Now, um, the Apostle Peter has just finished preaching the gospel. Incredible. It's an incredible moment. that this put out and, and people are turning to Jesus. They're turning away from their sin. It's this incredible thing. Then in verse 41, I want you to notice what happens next. So those who received his word were baptized, that is, baptized in water. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the first church, by the way, the first church that ever existed. The gospel brings it forth. And I want you just to notice the chain of events. First, Peter preaches the gospel. There's no salvation unless the gospel is preached, friends. First, he preaches the gospel. Second, some people receive his word. They take it to heart. They believe it. John 1.12 says that all who received Jesus and believed in his name became children of God. Right? That's what it means. To, to receive is to believe. They're saying, I'm trusting Jesus for forgiveness. I'm following him as my Lord. And then, third thing, those who received his word were baptized. So, right, you're with me? Preaching, trusting then baptism, and then fourthly, those who were baptized were added to the number of people who make up the visible church. You see those links in the chain? They're all, they're all just steps. Now, notice that baptism is part of that chain, and it comes after faith. Baptism doesn't save us, but it comes before being added to the church, this first visible church that ever existed. Faith, then baptism then added to the visible church. I wonder if some of us have been missing that about the significance of baptism. Because if I think back to my baptism back in 2009, uh, yes, 
uh, that was a time of deep personal significance for me in my faith, of course. But uh, it was also much more than that. Uh, I didn't really know it at the time, but that was not just about me and Jesus. That was about me and Jesus and his church. That was a moment where I actually went public with my faith in the way that God has ordained it and, and sort of said to his people, hey, I'm with Jesus and I'm with you. And then they had a chance to say yes, and, and I'm with you too. We can see that you're a Christian and we're going to commit to walk with you. A bit like a, a wedding day, right? Like obviously uh, when two people get married, that's a, an amazing personal uh, and uh, an, an exciting time for the bride and the groom, right? Um, but it's also more than just for them, isn't it? There's a significance that goes beyond the two people at the altar because they are declaring to those who are there in that day, we are committing to each other for life. We want all of you to bear witness. We want all of you to, to hold us accountable for that. That's why weddings are public. That's why even COVID weddings at least had a live stream or something like that, right? But then it's also a chance for those who are present and who are involved in their lives to say, yes, we are celebrating with you, but also if we're involved with your lives, we're going to help you stay together. That's a little bit like what baptism is like. And that's why most of, for most of Christian history, only those who have been baptized have been considered part of the local visible church. And you might say, well, hold on a sec, isn't that a bit exclusive? I mean, isn't that going to make barriers for people? Yaha. Uh -huh. Yes, it will. But only the kind of barriers that the Lord himself intends. He's ordained these sacraments. He's given them to us. He's designed for his church to be devoted to one another. And that happens right at the ground level in the public commitment that goes back and forth in baptism. Do you see what I mean? And the same is true, by the way, of communion. I won't spend as, as much time on this, but consider this. Many of us, when we partake of communion, we close our eyes, don't we? Nothing wrong with that. That's okay. It's a good moment between me and Jesus. It's a, a moment of grace. But there's something in closing our eyes that might actually blind us to the reality of what's happening. Because it's not just me and Jesus, it's me and Jesus and his church. Come back with me to 1 Corinthians. I want you to look this time at chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm on page 957. We're just bouncing in at verse 16. Here, uh, Paul begins this section of talking about the Lord's Supper. It's going to continue all the way through chapter 11 as well. Uh, but, but he begins building a point here. Listen to what he says in verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? He's talking about communion here. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. There's that body language again. For we all partake of one bread. Now, yes, when we share in communion, it is a, a time of remembering the body and blood of Christ. We look back to his death, we look forward to his return, right? And we each do that sort of individually in a way. That's verse 16. But verse 17, we don't just look back and look forward, we also look around. Maybe not physically, literally, but, but the communion actually points us in all directions to our fellowship. 
it points us to the fact that as we partake of one bread, we are one body. We are connected with one another through Christ. We share in the Spirit together. And so whenever we take communion, it's a way for us to say publicly, we are making an oath that we are still trusting Him together. We are still looking to His death alone for the forgiveness of our sins. We are still looking to His return alone to fix the problems of this world and bring us into His kingdom. We are still looking to Him alone to be our Lord, the one that we swear ultimate allegiance to. And we do that together. That's why when you come over the chapter into 1 Corinthians 11, Paul has so much to say about the Lord's Supper being a public sacrament. We're not going to go through the whole thing. If you're interested, have a look at chapter 11 for yourself later. But two things come out. One, he takes the, first, uh, the, the church of, of Corinth to absolute task, right? Like he smashes them because they've got this problem where uh, the rich are going on to eat the, the communion meal and the poor don't have anything to eat. And he's saying, you are not discerning the body. You are not looking around at the body of believers and caring for them in the way you do this feast. And therefore, you are betraying the entire significance of this meal, right? And then the second thing that comes out is he uses this phrase over and over and over. It's the phrase, when you come together. He uses it five times in chapter 11 alone. When you come together, you break bread. When you come together, you drink the juice. When On it goes. Because this is something we do when we come together. And it has to do with our togetherness, do you see? It has to do with our oneness. It's not a private meal. It's a public one because communion is a communal thing. This is why the Lord has given us baptism and communion. Yes, to help us with our faith, but most of all to help us with each other's faith together. This is part of how he grows us. In fact, the, the original sort of conceivers of the ordinary means of grace, they didn't use the word fellowship. They used the word sacraments as the third one. They said scripture, prayer, and sacrament because they understood what the sacraments represented. See, the sacraments aren't the point. They point us somewhere. They point us to the reality of our fellowship. This is what both baptism and communion do. And I really like the way one writer puts it here, Bobby Jamison. Uh, he's a fantastic book, by the way. It's called Going Public. Uh, talks about baptism, communion, all this stuff. He says... Baptism binds one, one person, to many people. Baptism binds one to many. And the Lord's Supper binds many into one. Do you see? This is how you become part of God's visible local church, baptism. And this is how you continue to put on display that you are part of the body of Jesus, communion. Binds many into one. To put it another way, baptism is the entry point into the local church and communion is, is the thing that draws the circle around the local church over and over and over. Baptism is like the wedding day where we go public, but then communion is like the wedding anniversary. Where we renew our vows to one another. We keep remembering. Baptism is the front door of the house, but communion is where we sit down at the family table. Now, just by the way, we're going to talk about this more later. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for someone to sit down at the table unless they've entered the front door. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for someone to uh, celebrate a wedding anniversary if they haven't yet had a wedding. Right? Baptism comes before participating in communion. That's why we do it the way that we do here. We'll talk about that more later. But I want you just to think back to your own baptism, if you've been baptised. Think back to your own baptism. Do you see this layer of significance to it? 
Do you see what it means? It's an incredible thing that the Lord has done in that moment. He's added you to his visible church. You were already part of the invisible church, of course, but now he's, he's made that public for everyone to see. And that was for your sake, that you would know you'd have brothers and sisters committed to you, but that was for their sake, that they would be greatly encouraged by your faith and then have you as someone who's devoted to them as well. Incredible. Incredible. And if you haven't been baptised, do you see how important this is? It's not just an optional extra. I mean, of course we do it because we want to obey Jesus, right? We want to honour him, don't we? But there's this whole layer of significance to it. And the same is true of communion. I love being part of this church, actually, because we do communion every week. <laughs> I don't think we have to, but, but we do. That's a wonderful thing. It means that we, we keep drawing that circle and we keep coming to the, the family table and we keep doing the wedding anniversary, so to speak, every single week. It means that these realities are put front and centre for us over and over. It is truly a habit. The ordinary means of grace form us habitually. What a wonderful thing that we get to do that each week. As long as, of course, we see what it means for us together. There's the first question. I wanted to spend most of our time on that, really that question of initiation. Second question, uh, how do we express devotion to each other? How do we express our devotion to one another? If you have been uh, drawn to God through faith in Christ, you have a new life in Him, and then you've been baptised as a sign of that faith, added to the visible church, and you're maintaining that, so to speak, in, in publicly partaking of communion, then how do we live? If we've now got this, this body, then, then what does the body do? Well, there's a lot to say on this. We're just going to take one slice of it. 1 Corinthians 12 again. Flip back over there, 9.59. Paul helps us to see a big part of the answer. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The church isn't a plate of jelly. It's not just this big blob that sort of jiggles around with one kind of thing on it, right? It's made up of many different parts. And so verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Because Paul says, you know, if the whole body was a hand or an eye, then how would it hear? Kids, I want you to imagine this. Think about this, okay? Imagine a body made of just one thing. A body made of feet. <laughs> a body made of noses. A body made of ears. It could probably do one thing really, really well, couldn't it? Like a body made of noses, it could probably smell a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> but what couldn't it do? Ah, uh, couldn't walk. Couldn't talk. Couldn't eat. Couldn't drink. Couldn't breathe. Oh dear. A body made of one thing doesn't really work. That's what Paul is showing us here. And so come down to verse 21. He continues developing that point over and over. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? God has, has designed us for relationship. Remember back to the story of Zoe? Right? We need each other. Zoe needed her grandfather. We are designed to need each other because we are not alike. We are different. We all bring different personalities and experiences and strengths and, and ways of being formed to the table when we come together in fellowship, right? There are arms and there are legs and there are eyes and there are spleens and there are hearts and, and all the different kinds of the body. 
even the people who don't seem particularly useful in the world sense or seem particularly uncomplicated are actually indispensable to the body, says Paul. They are indispensable. Everyone has a place because everyone is necessary. And so verse 24, coming in halfway there, God has so composed the body. It's not you and me who decide who's part of this body, ultimately. It's God. And it's not you and me who decide what our part to play is, ultimately. It's God. God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, even the things that seem less desirable, less helpful. And then here's the punchline, verse 25. I want you to hear this. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. The arm doesn't help if it's just hanging limp by the side, right? Even worse, if it's making things difficult for the body, right? No, the, the calling for each part of the body is to care for the other members. If you're an arm, use your capacity as an arm for the blessing of the whole body. What it also means is that if part of the body suffers, the arm suffers with it, right? If I break my leg, that arm is going to be holding me up using the crutches. If part of the body rejoices, then the arm rejoices along with it. If I get stronger core muscles, then my back gets stronger too. My arms are probably going to get a bit stronger. and There's going to be less pressure on my shoulders. Good, right? This is the way that we're meant to be. We share life together. We're connected to one another. We're committed to one another. We help each other grow and mature in Christ. This is mission critical. We all have a part to play. It's all hands on deck. Don't think to yourself, I have no part to play. Don't think to yourself, I am unimportant. Don't think to yourself, I'll leave it to someone else. If you have been baptised, then you are drawn into the family through the sacraments then you have a part to play. Now, sadly, some people view the church as something different. I've got a quote here for you from a, uh, a sociologist named Simon Chan. He says that some view the church's role as a sociological one, a social one, a relational one only, of a service provider catering to individual believers' spiritual needs. Think about what he's saying there. I come to church. The band plays for me. The preacher preaches for me. Someone serves communion for me. And then someone comes and chats to me and care for me. After all, what am I paying them for? Right, that's the idea. But that idea is, is so foreign to Scripture, isn't it? I mean, we all know that. The church is not a hotel, <laughs> The church is not a movie theatre where you come and you pay your dues, but then you get all these benefits. It's not a service provider. It is a family. It's like a home more than a hotel where everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a part to play. And the sacraments, of course, keep that image front and centre for us, right? It starts with devotion at baptism and it continues with devotion in life together. That's why in Acts 2.42, which followed on from that statement we saw before, 
you see that, the, that those who were added to the church did church things. They devoted themselves, key word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread, communion, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. That's why, by the way, we make a big deal about membership here at Coast Bible Church. Right? Think about the early church. Through persecution, through difficulties, through trying to work this whole thing out without 2,000 years of history behind them, right? They devoted themselves to one another. They linked arms and kept going. That's why we make such a big deal about membership. Because when a new member joins us, we receive them together. That's a very weighty thing. We're adding a part of the body, right? We're ingrafting something to our body. That's a new responsibility we have. Because as they devote themselves to us, we devote ourselves to them. To care for them as they care for us to suffer with them as they suffer with us, to rejoice with them as they rejoice with us. All these things that Paul is talking about. We've entered into deep fellowship. This isn't just the social hangout. Now, in case you're not aware, uh, we use something, and it's, it's not something that the Bible says we have to use. It's just a little helpful thing. We use something called a church covenant to help us with that. Covenant just means promise, oath, commitment. Uh, it's, a, it's a document we have, many of you have seen it, um, that we, it just has a series of biblical statements on it, and we say, hey, it's worth being clear in any good relationship, right? Here's our expectations of one another. Here's the statements we're agreeing to together. And if you are a member here, these are the things that you've read, and you've, you've said, I'm in. I'm committing to these things with these people. Uh, I'm going to share a couple of them in a moment. It'll be a good reminder for you, actually. Uh, what it is that we've committed to. If you're not a member here, or maybe even you're, you're not a Christian, you're, you're thinking about Jesus, uh, glad you're here. Um, this will give you a little window into what life in a church ought to be like and what we're striving for in our life as a church. I want to show you just a few of these and then we'll finish. Here's the first statement that we have on our church covenant, okay? This is going to blow your mind because it's so unique. Uh, we will pray and work for unity in this church. Now, imagine if someone joined a church and wasn't committed to that. Like they say, no, I'm here to do my own thing and stir up trouble. <laughs> but we don't want you part of the church if that's you. You're probably not a Christian. But no, no, one of the marks of living the new life and having the Holy Spirit is you go, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray that we band together and keep going forward together. And I want to work towards unity as well. Uh, remember, uh, Paul said earlier on that... Um, when we share in the one spirit, Jew or Gentile, we are brought together into one family. And that's true of not only Jew or Gentile, but young and old, whatever your religious background is, personality, extrovert, introvert, wherever you come from, whoever you are, there's a place for you here. And part of that involves working to make sure that we maintain unity across all of those tricky differences. It means the old seek out the young. It means the young seek out the old. It means we talk. It means we try to work things out when they get hard, and they do get hard whenever you bring lots of different people together into a room, right? We work and we pray for unity in this church. This isn't groundbreaking stuff, is it? I mean, this is just scripture. Second statement. We will commit to regularly gathering on the Lord's Day, not neglecting the necessity of meeting together. Like, duh. <laughs> right? If you're part of a church, 
you turn up. And not just turn up, but, but it's, it's a, it's, you realize it's a necessity. We need each other. We need each other. We're built for relationship. A body that's separated from, like an arm that's over there and an arm that's over there isn't a body. <laughs> we need to gather together. We don't just get involved with hobbies or work commitments or sleepovers or whatever that'll take us away from each other. Instead, we're here with our families, ready to be present and serve and listen and love and pray. Yes? yes. Another statement. We will rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavour to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. That second part, of course, makes sense. Think about that first part. We'll rejoice in each other's happiness. Isn't that difficult when someone got something that you wish you had? But that's part of being a part of the body. Last one. We've got more. We've got about a dozen of these. I'll just give you one more. We will be devoted to one another, humbly exercising care and watchfulness over each other. And as occasion may require, we will speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. And you can see like this litany of scriptures down the bottom because it's just scripture. The reality is, even as Christians, we still sin, don't we? We still struggle along. The Lord calls us to put sin to death, but it's an up and down process. It's over time. And I know I need people who will come and be honest with me, who are keeping a watch over my life. Andrew is one of those people. My growth group is another group of those people. I need people in my corner who will come and say, Dan, you might not know this, you might not have seen this, but hey, brother, I need you to think about da, 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 da. I'm so thankful when people do that. It hurts. <laughs> it's annoying. But, but yes, we need it, right? We need relationship. We need this kind of relationship. Devoted, spiritually devoted relationship. You with me? Like I said, we've got about a dozen of these statements uh, we're doing our membership class in a few weeks and we'll, we'll go through the whole thing. If you haven't seen this covenant, come along to that, you'll see it. But, but the point is, we, we, are, we are committed to one another as a church. We are devoted to one another as a church. And it starts with baptism, it continues with communion, but it plays out ultimately in our life together, that kind of life together. So coming back to the ordinary means of grace. Here we are, immersed in scripture, steadfast in prayer, devoted in fellowship. And I want you to picture these three things as like three legs of a stool, okay? Three legs on a stool means it's easier to stand on, it's strong, it's not going to fall over. Knock out one leg and what's going to happen? Yeah, good night. So consider what happens if we take out any one of these things. You take out prayer and you're a person who's deep in the scriptures and you're serving as part of your church, you're devoted, but, but you've got a shallow relationship with God, don't you? It's sort of this impersonal thing where it's all external. It's, it's here in scripture and it's here with these people, but there's nothing happening in here. Therefore, we must be steadfast in prayer. Or consider uh, if you just have prayer and fellowship, but you're not immersed in the scriptures, you have no anchor in the truth. You will get blown about by every wind of false teaching, and I've seen it. But consider as well, if you have scripture and prayer, you're like a, a mighty, devoted person to God in your private time, but you don't have this devotion to the fellowship. Well, you're alone and you're vulnerable. Think about a zebra or, or something like that, another pack animal. 
right? That, that needs its herd. What happens when a zebra's all alone? Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing good. Friends, this is why we need each other. And so I'll finish with a series of invitations. God wants to grow you. He wants you to find more freedom from sin. He wants you to find more joy in Christ. He wants you to find more maturity in the faith. And for that, you need brothers and sisters in a local church. And so here is the first invitation. Trust in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't get any more foundational than that, does it? Everything we've said this morning rests on that. If that hasn't happened for you, gosh, it needs to. It needs to. Turn to Christ. Peter was preaching at Pentecost. People were cut to the heart. If that is happening for you, even whether it's right now or it's tonight or it's next week, turn to Christ. Listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in you. Leave your old life behind. Close it with Jesus. Say, Lord, okay, I'm yours. I'm looking to you alone for forgiveness. I'm looking to you alone to bring me to God. I'm looking to you alone to include me as part of God's people everywhere. And you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will help you grow from there. What a wonderful, incredible, amazing, mysterious, but, but uh, incredible reality. If that hasn't happened for you, turn to Christ today. That's the first invitation. And if you have done that, right, these, these invitations, they're, just, they're, they're a series of nested invitations. So if you have done that, then next invitation, be baptised. Be baptised. Yes, because Jesus commands it, and I know you want to honour Jesus. And yes, because it will be a really crucial and personal time for you in your faith, of course. But also because you'll finally get to go public with the faith in a way that Jesus intends. This is the way that he's designed for it to happen. Weddings make a marriage go public. Baptism makes our faith go public. And you'll say to the world, well... I'm with him <laughs> and, and, and I'm with his people. And then you'll give us the chance to say, yep, we're with you too. Be baptised. If that's something you, you want to look at, come and chat with me, chat with Andrew. We'll, we'd love to talk with you. If you have done that, if you've been baptised as a believer, then hear the next invitation. Consider joining this church. There are lots of good churches you could be part of, but I, I want to say consider joining this one. Um, we've got a membership class coming up on February the 11th, not January, February. Uh, and, uh, and you'll get to hear, it's, it's, it really is a great time, by the way. We, we, have, we have a meal together. We, we talk about the vision of this church and what is the gospel and where are we going and, and who are we? We've, we sort of pull the curtain back and the sort of things that you'd wait two or three years to discover about a church, we, we just go, here it all is. <laughs> so you don't have to waste your time if that's not for you, okay? Uh, but, but come along, come in here and, and consider joining us. We'd love you to join us. Don't, don't just be a limp arm that kind of turns up here and then just sits, right? I am inviting you. Come and consider joining us as a church. And finally, the last invitation. If you have become a member here, devote yourselves to each other. In fact, I see you doing it, but keep doing it. Devote yourselves to each other again and again and again and again. It's a habit. It is a habit. I need you to do that. We all need you to do that. I mean, me and, and Andrew, we, we can only be in one place at once, right? 
or two. Yeah, between me and Andrew, you're right. But I can only be in, thank you. I can only be in one. See, this is why we need the body. <laughs> I can only be in one place at once, right? And, and whatever part of the body I am, I don't know if I'm a mouth or maybe I need to be more of an ear, I don't know. Uh, but, but whatever part of the body that I am, I'm only part of the body, aren't I? We need each other, not just me, not just Andrew, not just one person, but all of us. And so this week, I encourage you, if you are a member here, open up that church covenant, open the email that you've got it on, or take it off the shelf. Tell me if you want another copy. Read through it slowly and consider what are you doing well with here and what could be even better. This is our devotion to one another. And friends, as we immerse ourselves in Scripture, remain steadfast in prayer and devote ourselves to fellowship, here's what I know will happen. God will grow us. He will. He's promised to. So immerse yourself in these things. Make them your life. Make them your habit. Make them who you are. This is how God will grow us. And don't give up. Keep going. Brick on brick on brick, day by day by day, week by week by week. I know it doesn't feel all that thrilling. It feels very ordinary, but the results are anything but ordinary. This, I believe, if we really lean into this, will be one of the best years in this church's life. I really do believe that. I'm not just saying that to rev you up, okay? But it takes us being immersed, steadfast, devoted. So over to me and over to you on that. Let's pray for the Lord to bring this kind of growth. Lord, very simply, in view of your mercy, we offer our bodies, our whole selves to you as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice that lives day by day. A sacrifice whose life is turned over to Christ in every way. Lord, we confess how far we fall short of that. But we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Our sacrifice in our place. And so, Lord, in view of your mercy... Make us a living sacrifice. Help us give ourselves to these things that you have commanded. And so, Lord, we ask, grow us, that we would know you, Lord Jesus, all the more deeply, that we would be all the more devoted to one another as a church, and that we would see the lost reached even here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the privilege of turning now, of course, to one of the sacraments to the Lord's Supper, to communion.